song. Amen. What a blessing. Amen. I'm glad sometimes He calms the storm and sometimes He calms me. I'm thankful for that. I guess I'm supposed to preach now. Is that right? After all his comedy. Anyhow, you look for your book, buddy. It's down there, by the way. Where are you at? You down here. Hey, y'all down there. I like it. All right. You did a great job leading the music. You said it was your first time. I enjoyed it. And, um, I really enjoyed that. I, I was, it's, y'all, y'all think this is funny. That's my kind of singing, all right? I like it. Well, I don't know where she went, but I like it. And uh, the fellow that was with me, Brother Mike, was with me back here. I said, uh, I said, I think they got the McCamey singing tonight. And uh, and he thought I was joking. And uh, I didn't know she was going to sing that good song. Well, if you got your Bibles, just open up anywhere. I'll be by in just a second. Amen. Uh Ezra tonight, the book of Ezra. If you've got your Bibles, you find the text in Ezra tonight. Uh, Ezra chapter number 6. Ezra chapter number 6. I trust you've had a good week. I appreciate your pastor. And I could say a lot of things about him, but I had not got the love offering yet. So, amen. I'm just being honest. I appreciate I appreciate Brother Mike, Miss Susan. I appreciate them, their family. She was telling me that both of her boys are juniors in college, and I was thinking, wow, I remember when they were born. And so somebody's getting old around here, but it ain't me. Amen. But, uh, I mean, my baby's only almost two years old, so uh, I don't know how all that worked out. But I appreciate Brother Mike. He's been a friend down through the years. We had not always been as close as we are now, I guess, and I wish we could be closer now uh, than we are. But when the Lord saved us, He sort of knit our hearts together. And Brother Mike, even I say this down through the years, even when we wasn't saved and serving the Lord, I don't know much bad about Him. I, I, everything about Him was good. Uh, just a good, good friend. And I appreciate Brother Mike and uh, good fellow, good, good family. And you've got a good pastor here, so y'all follow him and take care of him and his wife and be good to them. I know the Lord will bless you for it. I'm trying to get used to this. If y'all ever been to my church, my pulpit's up here. And I'm not, I'm, I'm joking, I'm not joking, I'm being serious, my pulpit's up here, so I'm not used to having to look down. I've got a metal, uh, my neck is titanium, and so it doesn't bend real good, and so I'm trying to get used to this, trying to, if y'all want to know what's figuring out, that's, that's the first thing I'm trying to figure out, and the second thing I'm trying to figure out is, are y'all ready for this? <laughs> Amen. No, I, I love, I love Brother Mike, I appreciate it. He says I'm crazy, I really... He's, he might be disappointed I'm not near as crazy as he thinks I am. I do remember that meeting, though, that he's talking about. And uh, they did sort of like what he did, sort, except they moved a little bit when they clapped. And uh, and they could sing. And uh, they invited me. I'm a little bit offended because they invited me. They said, we want you to come to our meeting. And they said, we're going to invite you. We said, we, they want you to come. They said, we're going to call you, let you know the date. We want you to come. And, and they was going to let me preach. But they never even called me, so they must not have liked it as much as they put on. Uh, anyhow, and uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I'm trying to get warmed up. I've been praying, asking the Lord what to preach, and I'm still praying, asking the Lord what to preach. I'm about nervous tonight, all right? Are y'all all right? Y'all, are y'all all from Virginia? We'll be all right. I'm from Virginia. I live in North Carolina, but i just be known I'm a Virginian. All right, so if y'all don't like North Carolinians, don't take that on me. All right, Ezra chapter number 6. By now you found Ezra, right? I was really just giving y'all time to find it. I'm still hearing pages turning. Are we live? Are we, are we getting streamed? Are we really? i got to behave tonight. I love you, Brother Mike. Amen. Whatever y'all see tonight, don't hold it against this pastor in this church. Ezra chapter number 6, beginning verse number 14. The Bible said... And the elders of the Jews builded and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo, and they builded and finished it according uh, they builded and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel, and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the rest of the children of the captivity kept the dedication of this house of God with joy and offered at the dedication of this house of God an hundred bullets, two hundred rams, four hundred lambs, and for a sin offering for all Israel, twelve he-goats according to the tri- uh, number of the tribes of Israel. 
They set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their courses for the service of God, which is at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. The children of captivity kept the Passover upon the 14th day of the first month. For the priests and the Levites were purified together. All of them were pure and killed the Passover for all the children of the captivity, for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. The children of Israel, which were come again out of captivity, and all such as had separated themselves unto them from the filthiness of the heathen of the land, to seek the Lord God of Israel, did eat, and kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful, and turned the heart of the king of Assyria unto them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. I want to call your attention back to number, verse number 16, the latter part of that verse. The Bible said they kept the dedication of the house, this house of God with, with joy. And then in verse number 22, the Bible said they kept the feast of the unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria unto them. I want to preach on this thought with the help of the Lord tonight on joy renewed. Joy renewed. Would you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, I ask for your help tonight. Lord, I, I do realize that, Lord, where I stand in, in my own power and in my own strength and in my own wisdom, I fall and I fail. But, God, I need you tonight, and I'm asking you fresh and anew that you would touch me that, Lord, you'd fill me with the sweet Holy Ghost of God tonight. Uh, I pray you'd help me to say the things that need to be said. Help me to not say things that need not be said. And I pray that, God, you'd, you'd use this meeting tonight to be a blessing, to be a help, to be a challenge. And, and Lord, may it be a meeting that would change our hearts. I, I pray, oh God, Lord, in this day and age in which we live, all around us we see bad things, we see discouraging things. But, God, I pray you'd help our hearts to be tuned toward heaven. And I pray, God, that you'd help us tonight in this meeting, to get something that would help us, help this pastor and his wife. And Lord, as you help them, you help this church, help the individuals in this church. I pray, God, that you'd bless this church, help them to reach souls. Lord, for the glory of God, I pray, God, you'd help them to see more souls saved this year than ever before. I pray, God, you'd bless them in that department. And, and Lord, I pray that you'd do everything that you do here for your glory. I pray, God, you'd help us in this meeting tonight. Lord, I need you. I beg you, oh God, help us tonight to deliver the message you've got on our heart tonight, for, for tonight, for these people. Help us now, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, one thing as we live in 2019, if we're honest, uh, those that you've been saved for any time, uh, a length of time in your lifetime, you, you could vouch for what I'm about to say, but uh, you don't have to be saved very long to vouch for it as well. One thing that is lacking in our churches, and when I say our churches, I'm really dealing with our independent fundamental Bible-believing churches because that's about all I know about because I don't go to the rest of them. And I don't encourage you to. But one thing that is missing in our independent fundamental got-it-all-right Baptist churches is joy. One thing that's missing in our Christian homes is joy. One thing that's missing in our individual Christian lives is joy. And I look around the scope of Christianity and I look at my life at times and I, I'll be honest with you that in uh, my Christian life, one of the balances that I've had to learn to try to balance out is where to stand right, have the right stand, but to make sure that I'm walking with Christ close to Him and have the right spirit. Because if we're not careful, we'll focus on getting everything right and we'll be critical of everybody don't have it where we have it and we'll lose our joy focusing on everyone else. And, and if we're honest tonight, a lot of us are lacking joy. A lot of our homes are lacking joy. Our, our Christian homes where mom loves the Lord, daddy loves the Lord, they're both saved, children claim to be saved, but there's no joy. It's a bitter place. And churches are full of bitterness and, and lack of joy, no, no happiness. And I'm telling you tonight, and what I've come to say tonight is that God doesn't like that and God wants to restore that. Uh, when we think about revival, uh, revival, you said revival is not just about being happy, it's about being holy. But yeah, true biblical holiness will lead us to biblical happiness. The Bible said, the psalmist said in Psalm 85 verse number 6, y'all know that verse well most likely, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thou people may what? May rejoice in thee. 
Uh, the psalmist said, God, we're not able to rejoice. We're not able to celebrate the relationship that we have in you. We're not able to uh, have happiness. And I'm not talking about just uh, superficial happiness, but real happiness that's within and joy because of th things in our life and the state of our spiritual condition. So God, will you not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? We have a temporary, if, if, it, if you call it that, a temperamental, uh, emotional-based happiness uh, of this world. It's very little real, deep, lasting, God-centered, Christ-based joy in our lives. I mean, we have happiness, and you know the world's happiness is based on the happenings. And your happiness is up here when it's happening the way you want it to. But when it's a good year and the Hokies are losing, you listen, you, you, hey man, you lose your joy. Some of you do, and the ones that's right with God get happy. Uh, but we, it's, it's sad, but our, our happiness, our superficial happiness that we have is based on the happiness of this world. It's up and down, up and down with what's happening. But I, I, I'm here tonight not to focus on that superficial, temporary, temperamental happiness, but I'm here tonight to look into the Word of God, and I'm, I'm interested in joy. What is real joy? I'm talking about the joy that Peter spoke of in 1 Peter 1.8 when he talked about joy unspeakable and full of glory. I'm talking about joy that is vital. I'm talking about joy that's vital. And listen, joy is company's salvation, does it not? When you read Luke chapter number 15, we have the parable there of the lost things, the lost silver, the lost son, and the lost sheep. Every one of them was found, and when they were found, it was a picture of repentance, and the Bible said that there's joy in heaven. Now, I don't want to bust your theology tonight, but it doesn't ever say that uh, the angels rejoice. I know a lot of people say that, that the angels are rejoicing. Luke 15, you go, it says there's a, there is rejoicing or joy in the presence or in the midst of the angels. As I read Revelation chapter number 4, there is one that is sitting in the midst, in the presence of the angels. Amen. And there's the Lamb that's on the throne. His name's Jesus. If you don't know Him tonight, hey, you need to know Him. But I'm here to tell you that when people get saved, when sinners repent, Jesus gets happy about it. Oh, yeah. I, and listen, it, joy is, is, is accompanying to salvation. Joy is vital to our Christian life and our Christian service. Nehemiah said it like this in Nehemiah 10. Uh, he's right along with Ezra. He said, then, then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send the portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord, under our Lord. He said, Neither be you sorry, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. You get hold of that. The joy of the Lord is our strength. There's no wonder as we would stop and consider what the Bible said there, the joy of the Lord is our strength. There's no wonder that our lives and our homes and our churches make such a small impact on the world. Because if our individual lives are lacking joy, we have no strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. If our homes are lacking joy, our homes have no spiritual strength because the joy of the Lord is our strength. If our churches have no joy, then our churches don't have the power and the strength that we need to make an impact because the joy of the Lord is our strength. If we don't have the joy of the Lord, we are missing our strength. Are you listening to me tonight? The joy of the Lord which is our strength, is lacking. And I want to remind you tonight, I'm not trying to discourage you, I want to encourage you if I can, but I want, to, I want to encourage you to realize that we are in a fight. If you're saved, we're in a fight. I mean, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against those principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. Are you listening? Uh, listen, we are, we are in a spiritual battle. Spiritual warfare is real. You're not going to win spiritual warfare because you have a theological degree. Are you listening? You're not going to... Listen, I'm all for study. I'm all for uh, getting your ducks in a row, doctrine and all that. But just because you've got your ducks in a row don't mean you're going to win. You're going to have to have the Lord's strength. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. So if the joy of the Lord is our strength, may God help us to realize the lack of joy and to do our part to rekindle the joy that we once knew. Young man testified a while ago about when he got saved. This is one of the things I remember when I got saved. The night I got saved, a lot of people cried. Some of y'all probably cried crocodile tears the night y'all got saved. But I'll never forget January the 10th, 1999, when God saved me by the amazing grace of God. I drove home. I was driving over, you know, where this is through Fishersville and Teverton. And I was so happy just to think about it. And I got to the house. I lived in a little place called Hermitage. It's smaller than this place. You blink and you missed it. 
And I, I, I pulled into my driveway. I walked in my mom's house. And when I walked in, my mom and my stepdad were sitting there. And they looked at me and they said, what's wrong with you? What do you mean what's wrong with me? They said, why are you smiling? I couldn't quit smiling. There was a joy that come in. There was a joy. It was a radiant joy. I'm talking about that joy unspeakable, full of glory. I'm talking about there was a happiness to know, hey, that listen, I was no longer under condemnation. It was happiness and joy on the inside to know that I wasn't going to hell. Amen. I'm glad some of y'all don't think that's all right, but I'm glad I'm not going to hell. Amen. I know there's more to salvation than not going to hell, but that's a pretty good part. And I was happy to know that. And I was happy to know that the God of heaven loved me and, 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 and gave Himself for me and, and forgave me and dealt with me in love and mercy and He didn't give up on me. I'm talking about a joy. Because I was saved. I know I was forgiven. I'm afraid so many times we go through life and we, we've been saved for some time and we'll get to a point where we lose that joy. We may be like a, an old water pump or something. That it pumps water, you know. But if it picks up junk, I remember when I was a kid we had a, we had sisters on the property where we lived. We, we had some cows and some pigs and chickens. And, you know, we was just country folk. And before I got on the school bus in the morning, my job was to go out and wind the cistern and get water and give water to the, to the cows and the animals. Well, you'd go out there and once in a while and that, that pump, it had, it's a chain. Some, some of y'all old, old enough know what I'm talking about. You wind that cistern, right? Is anybody bearing witness with me? Amen. You wind that thing. Anybody ever wind a cistern pump? I thought y'all was country folk. This lady over here, thank you, dear ma'am. Amen. Let me preach to you for a little while. Amen. And I'd wind that thing and it had like little rubber cups on a chain that would come up through the pipe and it'd bring the water to the top and spit the water out to your bucket or wherever you had. And you wind that thing, but every once in a while you'd pick up some junk, some leaves or something, that thing get hung up and it wouldn't fall. Now, I'm afraid that's a little bit like what our lives are like. Uh, you know, Jesus talked about over in John chapter number 7 about the Holy Spirit. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we get saved, when you get saved, you got Him. Amen. But He's to flow like rivers of water coming out of you. Amen. And listen, but I'm afraid sometimes that river's not flowing like it ought to flow. The joy of the Lord's not flowing through us and out of us like it ought to flow because we've got junk in our lives. We got things that are clog up the pump, so to speak. Uh, the Bible said in Galatians chapter number five, verse twenty-two and twenty-three. But the fruit of the spirit is love, and the next one is what joy. Uh, the fruit of the spirit. The second thing that it, the way he described the fruit of the spirit, the evidence of the spirit controlling your life. It wasn't speaking in yabba dabba do and rolling around on the floor. It was love and joy. Everybody, all right? Love, joy. I'm talking about if you're filled with the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God's controlling your life, there'll be some joy. When we come to the book of Ezra, I'm, I'm going to try to hurry up and get out of my introduction and get to my message sometime tonight. Uh, Brother Mike said, preach on. Uh, but when we come to the book of Ezra, Israel had been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And this book, the book of Ezra, records the fulfillment of God's promise to restore Israel to their land. The first six chapters of Ezra record the return of almost 50,000 as the remnant uh, under Zerubbabel. And then chapter 7 through 10 records the return of the remaining part of the nation with Ezra and the revival of Israel. And it was during this time in the first six chapters that the altar was rebuilt. And the foundation of the temple was laid in 536. The altar was rebuilt in 535. They began to lay the foundation of the temple. But in chapter 3... Uh, during this time, in chapter 3, you'll find that the Bible says in chapter 3, verse 11, that they sang, uh, uh, they sang praises, they gave thanks, and they shouted with a great shout. But when it comes over to chapter number 4, there was opposition. When you come to chapter number 4, there was adversaries that got in the way. And due to the adversaries and the opposition, the rebuilding of the temple ceased for some 15 years. And then you pick up the story in chapter number 6, verse 13 through 15, and it's about 520 B.C., the rebuilding began and the temple was completed uh, in March on March the 12th, uh, 515 B.C. Brother Mike was just a little kid then. Uh, but when you, when you come to that point, there had been 70 years of captivity. They had began to build. They had to stop. There had been 15 years and now they took off. They re and got going again, re-began, and they built the temple. There's no doubt in my mind that during that 70 years of captivity, there were trying moments. I'm talking about they're not in their promised land. In 70 years of captivity, they are in a foreign land. They are not where they want to be. They are not necessarily with who they want to be. They may be around some of those that they know, but they don't have the freedom to do the things that they want to do, worship the way they want to worship. 
There's little to no doubt that once they had returned and began to build and had to stop due to the opposition and the resistance and the trials, that that was a strain on their joy. Oh yeah, it would, it would weigh it down. It'd be like drawing the charge off of a battery. However, when we come to verse number 16, I'm trying to hurry through this. When you get to verse number 16, the Bible tells us that after they had rebuilt the temple, that they kept the dedication of this house with joy. Do you catch that? Now, remember the context. Seventy years of captivity. Start to rebuild. Had to stop due to the opposition, the enemies, those in the way. Fifteen years goes by. Now they get to go back to the altar in the temple and finish rebuilding. And then they dedicate it. And when they keep the dedication, the Bible said that they did not keep it with bitterness. They did not keep it with a chip on their shoulder. But they kept the dedication of this house with joy. This dedication was a celebration of the Jews for rebuilding the temple. Uh, the word dedication comes from the same word that we get the word Hanukkah. And when the Jews today celebrate Hanukkah, it's the same word. It was a celebration of, of sorts. And so this dedication with joy is what I want to focus on tonight. And I want you to understand that when they kept the dedication of this house with joy, that their joy was based on the sacred things of God, not on the selfish things of this world. Did you hear what I said? It's easy for us to come in church on a weekly basis and the preacher may look at us on one Sunday and say, man, they're walking with God, they're on fire. And he thinks everything's alright because we got a smile on our face. We're singing old victory in Jesus like we know what victory in Jesus is. But that night or the next week we come in and he's like, wonder what happened to them. And God hadn't changed the lick. Amen. Hey, he said, I'm the Lord. I changed not. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Still the God of heaven. Amen. Still owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills. He hadn't changed. He hadn't lost his power. Y'all with me? His hands aren't weak. His, his hair's not gray. He's not pulling it out. He's still on the throne. But we get down. Why, why do we get down like that? Why do we get discouraged? Why do we lose our joy? It's because of our joy many times is based on the happenings around us. Instead of focusing our joy on the spiritual things of God. And so when we come to this text in Ezra chapter number 6, there's been a time, and I think I've laid that out, I tried to lay that out for you, that there has been 70 years and then a pause of 15 years. Now they've rebuilt the temple and they're going to rebuild the temple. I mean, they're looking forward to a place to worship. They're looking forward to a place to get back and, and sing the praises of God and hear the, hear the music of God and the praises and have the sacrifices offered and, and worship God. And the Bible said they kept this dedication of this house with joy. What was it that was involved in the dedication with joy? Well, I say there's a lot involved in their dedication with joy that could be involved in our lives with joy. To have our joy renewed. How many would be honest tonight and say, I could use a dose of joy? I'm talking about joy unspeakable, full of glory. I'm talking about new, renewed joy. Well, number one, write this down if you're taking notes. Uh, involved in their dedication, number one, was consecration. Dedication with joy, number one, involved consecration. Verse number uh, 16 says uh, that they kept the dedication of this house of God with joy. And then verse 17 says, And offered it the dedication of this house of God in hundred bullocks, two hundred rams, four hundred lambs. This here is a burnt offering. It's the burnt, what we would call the burnt, whole burnt offering. It's the atonement offering. It provides atonement in general so that unholy people could approach a holy God. They were dedicating the house of God. They were, they were offering a burnt offering. Dedication is closely responded to the word consecration. The word consecration speaks of an act or a ceremony of separating something or someone from the common to the sacred use. Of, a, of or devoting and dedicating a person or a thing to the service and the worship of God. So you know your Bible, the priests were consecrated, right? The, the, uh, dedicated to the service of God. The, the, the utensils and the, and the temple and the tabernacle, back in Moses' day, the tabernacle that they would take through the wilderness, that tabernacle and the utensils, it was dedicated to the worship of God. It was only for that use. And so, 
uh, this dedication of, of uh, this house with joy involved consecration. The Bible said they kept the dedication of this house with joy. You think about Solomon later he, at Solomon's temple when uh, Solomon offered for his temple, it was about 200 times more lavish and uh, more expensive and uh, just great things that uh, Solomon offered. Well, but these people didn't have all that Solomon had to offer. But what we do find is that when these people kept this dedication that... Uh, Though they were much poorer, and though they were fewer in number than in Solomon's day, they offered what they had. God is not necessarily interested with how much you got, as far as you impressing Him because you've got so much. He just wants all you got. Really and honestly, what He wants is not what you've got, He wants you. Consecrated. I wonder if we're, we would consider our, our, our lives consecrated to God tonight. I mean, like Romans 12 says, Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You say, preacher, I got saved. Well, that's wonderful that you got saved, but you ought to daily, on a constant, continual basis, present your body as a living sacrifice unto God. I mean, that's a, that's a day in and day out. Christianity is more than just saying a prayer at the altar and saying, Lord, save me and, and you know, go through the process of receiving Christ. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. I'm for that. I did that. Amen. Praise God. But that was not the end. That was the beginning. And from that point on, there is a constant daily walk where I have a responsibility to present my body daily. Over and over again. God, here I am. Use me. God, take my life. My life's not all about me. We live in a day where everybody says, well, I'm going to live my life. I only live once. I'm going to do what makes me happy. Well, that's not a good way to live your life. That might give you some temporary happiness, but that's not going to give you lasting joy. Your life is not all about you. If you're saved, your life doesn't belong to you. Your life is God's. Your body is God's. Present it to Him. And so it was an act of consecration. In thankfulness, they consecrated themselves to God, and they consecrated and dedicated not only themselves, but they were dedicating this temple to God. As I studied this, it was their reverence that led them to obedience. We have a lack of reverence in our churches today. We want to treat the church like it's the ball field. I'm all for the ball field at the ball field, but when we come to church, it's church. Amen. It's not a dance hall. It's church. When we come to church, listen, reverence leads to obedience, and and obedience leads us to worship. Here's what God wants out of you. God wants you, and God wants your will. And when you learn to dedicate your life to Him, we don't have a temple per se as far as a building. We have a building here that we meet in, but this building's just a building when, when you want to get down to the nitty-gritty about it, right? The temple of God today is what? It's your body. Hello! Your body. It's the temple of the Holy Ghost. He doesn't live in this building. I'm thankful for a building that we can sort of consecrate and dedicate to the use and the purpose of worshiping Him and having church services and that, that nature. I'm all for that. I, listen, I just told you, I'm for respecting the house of God. Amen? But more than a building, God wants you. God wants your will. Surrender to Him. Uh, Exodus 32, y'all know, the, y'all know the story. When Moses went up on the mountain, while Moses up on the mountain getting the commandments from God, he's getting the tablets, getting the plan from God. And Aaron's down there being led by the people, and Aaron, they're down there having the first contemporary worship service. You know, they took all their clothes off, had strange music, didn't sound like gospel music. It wasn't the McCamey's, amen. He said it sounded like the noise of war when he came down off the mountain. Y'all all right? And uh, what did he say? He said, to, well, you know, some of them was killed, and the rest of them, he said, consecrate yourselves. That's what he said. Moses said in Exodus 32, I think it's 32, 29. He said, consecrate yourselves unto God. God. Dedicate yourselves. Come away from those things. Uh, you'll never have joy. You'll never have joy until you learn to dedicate yourself to God. I'm talking about true, true, deep down, genuine joy. Dedication. It, it is involved consecration. Consecration. 
Are you so, are you wholly set apart to God? You say, that's what revival's about. I know some people come to revival and all they want is a little happy, happy, make me feel good. Well, if you want to feel good tonight, we can do that. But if you want to feel good throughout your Christian life and you want to have joy that lasts, you learn to consecrate yourself to God on a daily basis. Number two, not only did uh, dedication with joy involve consecration, but it involved confession. Confession. I, I, I probably realized tonight I, I'm not God here tonight, but probably everybody or most everybody on a Tuesday night in Hillsville, Virginia that made their way into a church on a cold rainy night probably at least claims to be saved. Now, I'm, I'm well aware, I'm well aware that everybody that claims to be saved is not saved. So if that's you, you need to get saved. But tonight, uh, you don't need to get saved again if you're saved to get your joy back. But you may have some sin that needs to be confessed. Notice verse 17 as you continue reading. He said, and for a burnt, and, and for a sin offering for all Israel, twelve he goats according to the number of the tribes of Israel. So the first part of that, he's talking about the whole burnt offering. Then he says, and for a sin offering. What was a sin offering? So we've seen the people, we've seen, uh, that here, here we are looking at the piety and the, and the price for sin. The price for sin. There's an offering that was to be offered. A sin offering that would, uh, be offered for all of Israel. Do you see that? For all of Israel. Now when I see that, I, I see several things because this sin offering was provided atonement for unintentional sins of weakness or carelessness. Alright, so you go through your life and you don't really mean to be backslidden. You don't mean to turn your back on God, but little by little you let down your guard. You're not sensitive, you're not aware, and you let yourself slip and you do things that you shouldn't do. You start not to do the things you should do. And you grow cold, you grow wayward. And before you know it, if you're not careful, you're backslidden. You say, preacher, I'm in church. I'm going to tell you one thing, it's easy. To, it's just as easy to backslide in church as it is at a bar room. Because you can come to church and think you're alright because you go to church and you carry a King James Bible. And you ought to come to church and you ought to carry a King James Bible, but you can do both those things and still be backslid and not have your heart where it ought to be. But there's a sin offering that's offered. And what was the sin offering? This sin offering, number one, it speaks of representation. He said there was 12 egos, and that's, that's one for each tribe. You, you, you notice each tribe is represented. In other words, there was no tribe that was left out. All the tribes were represented in this sin offering. But then God didn't say uh, that, well, you know, tribe of Judah, y'all ain't going to need to do this. Y'all don't need that. No, y'all are good. Y'all got it all. Y'all are a house of praise. It'll be all right. No, all the Notice first the Bible now. I'm reading the Bible. For a sin offering for all Israel, 12 he goats according to the number of the tribes of Israel. There's 12 tribes. There's 12 goats. It's representation. There is, listen, I'm telling you tonight, that if you sin and you're away from God, hey, there's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's been shed for you and you can be cleansed through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has been shed. It has been offered. And He has given And it is enough for you. Not only I see the representation, but I see the recognition. They, they had sinned. You don't offer a sin offering unless you recognize you sinned. They had sinned individually. They had sinned corporately. And now, here's the confession. They are offering this sin offering for all of Israel. They are realizing that all of Israel was guilty corporately, but not only corporately, individually. You know, we see this corporate thing throughout the Bible. You see, when Nehemiah began to pray and weep over his people, he's praying because they were not where they needed to be. They had backslid. Daniel, in Daniel, I think it's Daniel chapter 9, when uh, God comes to him and he begins to pray, and he's beginning to ask God for help and for cleansing and repentance. He's repenting and confessing because the nation had sinned. There's the corporate sense. There Maybe some churches corporately need to, but I'll tell you one thing, if they don't, they're individuals, no doubt. You, you sit here tonight and you say, I've got sin in my life. Preacher, I'm not where I ought to be. I'm going to say something to you. You can get close to God just like you got away from God one step at a time. But the first step is to admit it and to confess it. And you'll, not, you'll never be right with God. Listen, you'll never be right with God trying to cover it up. And then not only that, but this sin offering speaks of repentance. They were offering a sin offering for forgiveness. 
They were offering a sin offering because not only had they acknowledged that they had sinned, but they were coming to God, asking God for forgiveness. God, would you accept this sin offering on the behalf of us and our confession because we realize we sinned and we realize that you instituted this sin offering and we are asking you to accept this offering. And as we confess our sins, we are willing to repent. We need that, God. I'm afraid the problem in our church is not that we don't realize that we've done wrong or we had not done what we ought to do. It's not that we don't realize that we're backslid sometimes. It's that we're not willing to repent. A lot of times we think, well, repentance is just for lost people. Well, when I read Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus tells those churches in the book of Revelation uh, to repent. Amen. Repentance, hey listen, it may be for a, a different aspect, but repentance is just as real or more so for your life today once you're saved than it was before you got saved to get saved. And every day of our lives, there may be things in our lives, there's possibilities of things that we need to turn from and that things that we need to get out of our life. And this, this sin offering speaks of not only representation and recognition of our sin, but it speaks of repentance from sin. They were willing to turn, they were willing to admit it, and they were willing to ask God for forgiveness. And I say this tonight, there'll never be joy with unconfessed and unforsaken sin in the life of any believer. The most miserable person in here tonight is probably not a lost person, but it's probably a saved person that's trying to harbor and cover up sin. Lost person that's lost until they get under conviction. They enjoy their sin. They enjoy it because that's what their nature is. Then when the Holy Ghost of God gets on them and they begin, he, he begins to deal with them and convict them, they get miserable until they get saved. But that person that's saved knows what it's like to walk with God, knows what it's like to have their sins forgiven. And then over time, they get away from the closeness of God. They get away from where they ought to be. They let things get in their life, and it's easy to do, friend. There's a little here, a little there, a little here, a little there. They start letting things build up, and then they let it fester in sins like leprosy. It grows and grows and gets worse and worse. And before you know it, they got things in their life that they never dreamed they'd have in their life. I don't know whether you tonight it's music or movies or, 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 or motives or I don't know what it might be tonight. It, it could be just bitterness. Or I don't know what it is, but you let it in your life and you don't confess it. You don't forsake it. And the Bible said, He that covered the sins shall not prosper. But the, the one, the Bible said, He said, but he that confesseth and forsaketh it shall find mercy. And so you'll never have joy renewed in your life as long as you're trying to harbor and cover up sin. And then, let me say thirdly, it involved commitment. Notice verse number 18. They set the priests in their divisions, the Levites in their courses, for the service of God, which is at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. Commitment. Is everybody still with me tonight? Please don't cut me off right, right now. Commitment. I, I know in Baptist church, that's almost like a cuss word. Commitment number one to the way of God. You say, how do you get that? Notice this. It said they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their courses. What were the, what were the divisions and the courses? What's that all about? Well, that was the way that God had dictated and mandated that they would be divided and lined up. It wasn't that they just came to church and said, well, we can do it our way, and that's the problem in our day today. We've got a bunch of churches out here. They don't care about the way, the way that God has mandated. They just say, well, we're going to do it our way. We're going to do it our way. You, hey, look, this ain't Burger King. You ain't here to have it your way. Hey, this, this is Christianity. You do it God's way. And that's not legalistic. Hey, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so as we think about de the dedication with joy, it involved commitment to the way of God. They didn't, they didn't just dedicate it and say, well, hey, look, Preacher Mike, we put up a new building down here. We got a new temple. We got the new altar. And so here's what we got. Since it's new, we're going to do it all new. We're going to come up with our own way to line up. No, the Bible said, notice this again, the Bible said that they set their priests in, in divisions and the Levites in their courses. That's the way that God had instituted. Number two, not only is it commitment to the way of God, but I see commitment to the work of God. Because he said, for the service of God. 
Why did God divide them up? Why did God have the priests in their divisions over here and the Levites in their courses over here? Why did He have them separated? Why did He have them certain spots? I'll tell you why. So they could operate the way that God wanted them to operate doing what God had called them to do. Commitment. Commitment to the way of God. Commitment to the work of God. We need some commitment. That word service there, for the service of God, it's a word that uh, it, it, it has several definitions. Work, ritual, worship, the labor, the business. In other words, they are down there carrying out the work. You do understand this temple, it wasn't like this. Alright, that temple, there was a lot of blood and guts flying down there at that temple. There's a lot of animals dying. Jesus hadn't died yet. He's the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. But He hadn't came to the cross at that point. Y'all alright? He hadn't been to Calvary yet. So they are still looking forward to the cross. And here they are down there constantly offering sacrifices down there at that temple. They put the blood on the altar. They bring the animal in and burn it. They do different things. And they had this division and they had the courses and they had the work of the Lord going on and on. It's the work of God. We need some people. Listen, we need some people dedicated to the way that's to get where God puts you and the work of God. I know everybody thinks when they get saved, that God saved me, so I'm just going to come to church. It's wonderful to come to church. But God didn't save you just to sit a pew and ride the pine. Some of y'all are looking at me. I'm letting y'all catch up with me. Y'all remember that old song? We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work. We've lost that mentality. I mean, most of the time, we're going to come in, we're going to worship. If you ain't willing to work, you ain't really worshiping. I'm talking about a heart that is committed to the way of God. Listen, everybody's not the pastor. I don't know why God just hit this right here, all right? Y'all going to help me? Everybody's not the pastor. There's one pastor at this church. His name's Mike Wells. He's not a dictator, but he is the head dictator. Amen. God called him to pastor this church. Y'all voted him in if y'all was here. And he's here to pastor this church. It ain't the deacon's job to pastor the church. He didn't tell me nothing. I don't know what's going on. I hope ain't nothing going on. But it ain't the deacon's wife to run the church. It ain't Miss Susan's job to run the church. It ain't your job to run the church. Jesus Christ has him in place to pastor this church. All right? And I know he don't like me saying this. Probably. He agrees with me, but it's, it's awkward when you're a pastor and somebody comes in and says, I'm just trying to get you to see this. What you need to do is find your role and get in it and do it. Find your division. Find your course. Is it a Sunday school teacher? Is it a choir member? Hey, listen. Is it a greeter? Is it a door knocker? Is it a class teacher? Is it a broom holder? Let me encourage you. I don't know who does what around here. I don't know. If you sweep the floors, vacuum the floors, clean the commodes, you are just as needed as anyone. If they listen, if they come in, listen, if they come in and the bathrooms ain't clean, they probably ain't coming back. Are you listening? If the if the yard's not mowed and the grass and the shrubs looks awful and it, and and everything looks awful, nobody's keeping up around here. They'll think, well, nobody cares. I don't, that's a mess. I ain't going down there. And the preacher might be the greatest preacher that ever stood on the platform. But I'm gonna tell you this: when God saved you, He got a place for you. Every child of God that's saved has a place to serve somewhere. You've got at least one spiritual gift. I just feel like hitting this preacher. Hey, you've got at least one spiritual gift. And what you need to do to have the joy of the Lord, hey, listen, uh, unleashed in your life, is to find out what that gift is. Get in the role that God has for you and to serve Him and to work for Him until Jesus comes. The way of God. The work of God. But they're also committed to the Word of God. Notice this. Verse number 18, he said, The divisions, the courses, and the latter part of that verse said, Which is at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. Where did they come up with the courses? Where did they come up with the divisions? Where did they come up with the work of God? As it is written in the book of Moses. You know what we try to do at the church? We try to do what this book says. 
B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. It's more than a song. We find out what this book says. And I'm telling you, we got churches that are coming up with doing it their way. The world replaces joy with, with excitement. They don't have joy because they're lost. They have happiness. And so they, they build everything up on excitement and entertainment. And then the modern church world comes along and says, Hey, that works for them. We ain't got nothing else. Let's, get, let's try that. So they bring in the rock music and they bring in their entertainment. They bring in all the things from the world. You might as well say amen or oh me. It's happening in churches all across their land. It's happening in Baptist churches. It's happening in independent Baptist churches. We've ignored the Word of God. You know what the Word of God would emphasize in worship? The Word of God would emphasize in worship the preaching of the Word of God. Praying to God. Praising God. And listen, if we'll get back to preaching, praying, and praising, I'm telling you, you'll have some joy and people will come in them doors and they'll say, I don't know what they're doing down there. But they ain't doing it like the rest of them. They ain't got to have the strobe lights and the smoke machines and they ain't got to have all this crazy stuff to draw a crowd. They're down there praising God like they know God. They're down there preaching like wildfire. He's like, that preacher down there, he's preaching like he knows who he's preaching about. And people up there, when they sing, they're raising their hands and they're praising God. And they're saying hallelujah and glory to God. And the other night I was in a revival and that crazy preacher jumped off the platform. I'm going down there to find out what they got going on. I'm telling you, a lot of people coming through those doors, when they come through those doors, they're not looking for the same old, same old. They coming in them doors, and listen, they coming in them doors lost, and when they come in them doors, preacher Mike, they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. They done tried everything else. They done tried the booze. They done tried the bottle. They done tried the pills. They done tried the wine, the women, and the song. They done tried it all. They done tried the lights. They done, they done, if they wanted the lights, they went to the country music concert. They come in church, and somebody's singing about sometimes he calms the storm. Sometimes he don't go to sleep on that one, friend. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying we ought to be committed to the Word of God. The Word of God. When the preacher says we're going to have Bible study, you say, Well, I've been saved two years. I don't need Bible study. I don't care if you've been saved 200 years. The Bible still says to study to show thyself approving to God a workman need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. Ezra was a ready scribe. He prepared his heart, what? To know the law of God, the word of God. To do it and to teach it. You know what we ought to do as Christians? We ought to be preparing our heart. We ought to listen, we ought to be dedicated to the Word of God. When's the last time you picked up the Bible and read it? Most people don't have no problem coming to the preacher saying, well, I think, well, I think, well, I think. Most times they didn't think. I mean, to be honest, most of the time, them people says, well, I think. No, they didn't think. They watched some cat on television or they saw what the church down the road was doing. Or they went to the bookstore and saw whatever they had on the poster. Are y'all all right? If you think, you'd read the Bible. When's the last time somebody came up to you, Pastor, and said, I was reading my Bible the other day and the Lord put this on my heart? We used to come in churches and, I mean, when I was a kid, I remember coming in churches and men would stand around and talk about what they'd been reading in the Bible. They'd talk about Bible doctrine. Talking about the, the, I'm talking about justification by faith. Justification by faith. If you said that in most Baptist churches, they think you're speaking in tongues. A what? Are you all right? When's the last time you come to church and somebody want to talk about the Bible? We sing that song, let's talk about Jesus. Y'all know that song? Get somebody else to sing it to you. What? It's a good song, though. But watch now. Most of the time we come in church, we talk about the weather, we talk about the football game, we talk about the race cars, we talk about the weather, we talk about the politicians, we talk about the politicians, we talk about politicians. We talk about, y'all know. Talk about our 401k or what it used to be. We have a problem talking about things that matter to us, but what about the Word of God? Are you committed to the Word of God? When's the last time you picked it up? 
I'm afraid some people take the Bible and they bring it to church. They walk to their car, they put it back up in the window or in the floorboard. And next time they come to church, whenever that is, they pick the Bible up. There's a family Bible on the table. We used to have them, right? It wasn't more than song. When I was kids, the family Bible sat out there. And it was a, most time a dust collector or a place to keep the genealogy for the family. But man, at least it sat there. But now it's out of, out of sight, out of mind. Some of y'all better say amen. Y'all know I'm telling it right. Pick this Bible up and read it. You want joy? You're going to have to find out how God said to get it. They kept the, oh, watch this, they kept the dedication of this house with joy, with consecration, confession, commitment. Number four involved, watch this, concentration. Is this water mine? One of them. I ain't drinking that one. It's half empty. That one's open too. You got one that ain't open? Watch this now. Concentration. You don't want to miss this. Faithfulness is what we do based on what God has done. But when we talk about concentration, we're talking about what God has done. Verse number 18 we saw uh, that they came together. And then when you come to verse number 19, it says the children of the captivity kept the Passover up on the 14th day of the first month. Verse number 20 talks about how they were purified and all them that were pure, and they killed the Passover. Verse number 21, the children of Israel which were come again out of captivity, all such as had separated themselves from the filthiness of the heathen of the land to seek the Lord God of Israel did eat. Verse 22, and they kept the feast of the unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful. I want you to see this tonight. As they are keeping this dedication of this house with joy, the Passover was not just a flippant activity. The Passover, if you study the book of Exodus, you go back to Exodus chapter number 12, the Passover is an illustration to the people of God of God's redeeming work. Matter of fact, when you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, you come over to the New Testament, the Bible talks about Jesus Christ as our Passover. And so when you uh, look at the Passover, the, the Passover uh, was a picture of what God had done for the people. And He had told them to keep the Passover. The Passover involved an offering without blemish. It involved the lamb being killed. It involved the blood being applied. Y'all gonna have to come go to church with me just for a minute. They celebrated this, listen now, they, 70 years in captivity. 15 years on pause because of the persecution. You with me? And now they finally get to go to church. They finally get to go to the temple and offer a dedication and to offer and, and not only to offer sin offerings and burnt offerings, but now they get to celebrate the Passover. The Passover is looking back at what God had done for them all the way back in Egypt. Y'all remember the story how God was going to take the firstborn that night? He said, when I come by, He said, if I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Amen. The blood was applied to the top and the sides of the door. And that blood was a, a picture of the cross. You take the blood and drip from the top to the bottom and the blood on each side. It's a picture of the cross. It's a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for you and I. It was celebrated five weeks after the dedication and followed with the great feast of unleavened bread. It was seven days following the Passover. And verse number 22 says that when they got to the feast of unleavened bread, that they did it with joy. Hey, listen, it was the first time in years that they were able. I don't know what they did while they were in exile. I don't know what they did but for the first time in over 70 years they were able to come to the temple they were offered they were listen they were able to offer their sacrifices and they were able to celebrate the Passover at Passover looking back at what God had done for them on that Passover night at Passover that would listen where the blood was applied to the door and the, listen the hyssop through the blood up there and God saw the blood when he came by and he says I'll pass over them I say that they've got the blood applied they've got the blood applied hey 
look up in here. Hey, listen, if your joy is on low tonight, if your joy is dwelling tonight, I tell you how you can get your joy restored in a real quick hurry. Just take a good look back at Calvary, and you may not be all you ought to be. You may not be everything you ought to be. You may not have done all you ought to have done. You may not have done everything you set out to do. But I'm telling you, if you're saved by the good grace of God, you can look back to a place called Calvary. The Bible said when they came to a place called Calvary, there they crucified Him. That's where Jesus died. That's where He loves you and gave Himself for you. I'm talking about if you look at Calvary, you'll see how much God loved you. Romans 5, 8 said, But God committed a love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What He said at Calvary when He spread out His arms and He laid down His life and He went to the old rugged cross. He said, I love you this much. I love you. I love you, red, yellow, black and white, Baptist, Methodist, whatever you are. He said, I love you. I'm willing to save you. I'm telling you, ain't nobody ever loved you like Jesus loved you. The old song said, can't nobody do you like Jesus. I'm telling you, when you look back at Calvary, hey, you can't come around and leave Calvary with a frown on your face knowing that the God of heaven loves you so much that He gave His only begotten Son. You need a fresh dose of joy? Take a look at what Jesus did for you. It's easy to get disturbed at what the preacher said or what the preacher did. But your focus ought to be on what Jesus did. If you watch the preacher, if you watch this preacher, that preacher, the next preacher, if you watch any preacher long enough, he's going to disappoint you. He's going to discourage you. He's going to hurt your feelings. If he don't, he ought to. But if you look at the darling Son of God, He'll never disappoint you. He'll never discourage you. He'll never let you down. He'll never do you wrong. Notice this, verse number 21 said, It was for they who returned as well as they who remained separated from the filthiness of the heathen and the paganism of the day. It was good for all of them. What I'm trying to get you to see tonight, both of these, the, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, both of them were a celebration that looked back at God delivering them from the slavery in Egypt. I wonder, I wonder how long has it been, instead of saying, well, I've been saved for 22 years, I wonder how, many, how long has it been since you really allowed God to take you down memory lane and remind you what He did for you when He saved you. I mean, so many times we, so many people have been in church so long, we sit on that little stool to do nothing, and, you know, I sing that little song, I shall not be moved. Bless, bless me if you can, Lord. We don't want nobody mess with us. But when's the last time you really let God take you back and let you be reminded that you ain't always been saved? You ain't always been in a Baptist church. You ain't always had it all together like you think you got. You still ain't got it all together. You just don't know it. But if you're, listen, if you're saved tonight, there was a time when you was lost. I'm talking about lost on your way to a devil's hell. But the God of heaven loved you enough that He sent Jesus and Jesus died in your place. Think about that a second. That ought to light your world up, baby. He loved you. Paul said over in Acts chapter number 20, and I'm about done if you want to get to musicians. Pastor, you'd be making your way. Acts 20, Paul said that he wanted to finish his course. He said that I may finish my course with joy. He had a desire to finish with joy. In uh, Philippians 4, 4, he's in, a, he's in a dungeon. He's in a prison. And from that prison in Philippians, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But I'm reminded, Brother Danny, in John 15, where Jesus said that he wrote these things unto you, that his joy might remain in you, and that your joy... Might be full. Where's your joy at tonight? Here's what the Bible says. Watch verse 20. Will you read verse 22 with me and I'm done? They kept the feast of the unleavened bread seven days with joy 
Watch this. For the Lord had made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria unto them, watch this, to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Here's what happened. God made them joyful so He could make them useful. It wasn't about just coming and getting happy and whoop, whoop, going home and going back to the same old, same old. God said, you're going to keep this dedication with joy. You're going to go through all these process the way that I've laid out. You're going to keep the Passover. You're going to celebrate that. And God said, I'm going to give you joy. But when I give you joy, it's going to be because you need joy, the joy of the Lord at your strength, so that you can carry out the work. You know what this local church needs? They need some church members to get across this altar tonight and ask God to restore to them the joy. You don't have to get saved again. You may have sin in your life. You may be like David. Y'all remember David, Psalm 51? He didn't say, God, save me again. He said, God, restore unto me. He's talking about create a clean heart of me. And he said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. David said, God, I want you to forgive me, cleanse me. Y'all know, know Psalm 51, against thee, thee only have I sinned, done this evil in thy sight. But then he said, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. And you may be here tonight and you're saved and you know you're saved, but you've got things in your life and you're not where you ought to be. You ought to come down here on this altar. You ought to be running to the altar right now and asking God to forgive you, asking God to cleanse you. Because you know your joy. And one way to know that your joy is not where it is, ought to be is because you're not effective in the work of God. You get the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It'll give you the energy to go. It'll make you effective. You can't do it on your own. I can't do it. This preacher can't do it on his own. We've got to have the help of the Lord. It'll make you joyful. It'll make you useful. We're not here, we're not here tonight. I know this pastor well enough. No, we're not here just so you can say, what rah, rah, the preacher got crazy tonight and all that. No, we're here tonight so that you can get help and so that next week you'll want to come go soul with it. So that next week you'll want to be at church and sing in the choir. So that next week you'll want to tell somebody about Jesus. Amen. You get your joy full and learn to keep your joy full and, and to keep yourself dedicated, consecrated to God, concentrated on what He's done for you. Keep sin confessed. Stay committed to God. And you stay that way. And your joy stays full. And you stay close to God. You're committed. You're walking with Christ. And your joy is where it ought to be. And you work for God. And God blesses that work because you have renewed joy. I wonder tonight, does anybody need their joy renewed. We're standing all across the auditorium. Pastor, you come and you close out. Carry out the invitation as you will. But if you need to help tonight, God spoke to your heart. You need to come to the altar tonight. Maybe it's something in your life. You need to come tonight. You mind the Lord. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never been saved. If you never trusted Jesus Christ, can I tell you the greatest thing you can ever do is to repent of your sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him in faith and be saved. But Lord, tonight, if you're saved, primarily I've preached of the saved, if you're saved tonight and your joy is not where it ought to be, with heads bowed and eyes closed, the pianist is beginning to play, the pastor's coming. If you need help tonight, you come. You mind the Lord. Some are already moving. Some are already coming. If you need help, God's got help you need. If you'll get honest and get humble, God's got the help you need. God wants you to be full of joy so that you can be useful for the cause of Christ. Pastor. Won't you come now? So much is that so true. Modern Christianity, I don't know what happened. We should be the most joy-filled people on the face of, the, of this earth. Why does the world seem to have more joy than we do? Of course, they don't have real joy. We understand that. Won't you come ask Him, Lord, restore unto me the joy of Thy salvation. By the way, it's His salvation. He saved you in the first place. If you need Christ, can I invite you? Why don't you come let me tell you about a man who will give you this joy we're talking about. The man who died for you on Calvary's cross. The man who shed his blood. The man who was buried. The man who rose again the third day. The man who wants to save you. The God-man. Jesus Christ. God the Son, the Son of God, same thing. He wants to save you tonight. If you're not sure where you're saved, can I, can I tell you, we'd sure love to help you through that. Get this joy that he's been talking about tonight.
It only comes from Jesus. Can I encourage you? Brother Dwight tells me all the time, and I, I love that he reminds me of this. When you got the joy of the Lord, make sure you, you tell your face to, right? Smile a little bit. Let people know. Let it be contagious. I remember my grandmother. I've told you all my testimony on my grandmother many times. And probably the most joy-filled person I've ever met in my life. Certainly didn't understand it when I was young. In fact, many times I thought and wondered, Grandma, what's she on? What kind of medicine or what kind of pills is the doctor giving her? I want some of that. I'm thankful for an old race car at Eastside Speedway after hearing the gospel presented for about three weeks in a row. I found that joy. I found out what she was on. She was on Jesus. Amen. That's the joy that's unspeakable. That's the joy that's full of glory. That's the joy that, listen, we can have no matter what the circumstances of life bring us. There's folks in this room, I know because I'm your pastor and you've shared with me. You're going through things that most people would can't even imagine, yet you're still here on a Tuesday night. Listen, don't let circumstances affect your joy because it can't when it comes from the Lord. You can be in the most dire circumstances. Yes, that will affect some happiness. We get that. But it, it will not affect your joy from the Lord when you allow Him to restore your joy. I invite you tonight. Say, Lord, I want that joy back. Lord, I need that joy back. Lord, I need you. Help me to walk with you like I did once before. Help me to fall in love with you all over again. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that promise that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Appreciate the message, brother. Amen. Good stuff there. Well, you can be seated for just a second. And uh, we'll ask our ushers if they'd come at this time. We're going to take up a love offering from our friend. And we told you every night, everything you give, every penny you give, if you have it to give, you don't, that's okay. Uh, everything you give is going to the man of God each night that the Lord sent to us to preach. And we so appreciate that message and appreciate them coming and appreciate your friendship too. Amen. Amen.